This is a Federal News Network podcast. Veterans groups keep a close eye on authorization and appropriations for the military, and they're pleased with increases in housing allowances for troops planned for 2023. Joining me for this and many more topics, the director of the National Security Division of the American Legion, Mario Marquez. Mr. Marquez, good to have you with us. Thank you. Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to see if we can figure out some good ways to fix a lot of the things that we're concerned about and also market the positives we've had so far. And one of those positives is an increase in housing allowances. And uh, of course, now as a veteran, you don't need the housing allowance, but you did spend 31 years in the Marine Corps. And so you (laughs) have seen housing, military housing, probably lived in it at some point. Give us what the Legion is saying about that. We're satisfied for the current increases. I think over 500 million of additional housing allowances have been allocated to counteract specifically inflation and the skyrocketing cost of rent. You know, I can remember thinking back to the mid-90s where our pay was much lower than it is today. And having to collect cans just to have enough money for gas. And I tell you, we've come a long way over the years, over the decades, to the point where I retired, where you didn't hear much about any military family. However, with the impact of inflation, some of the impacts of the war in Ukraine coming out of the pandemic, I think a lot of our military families have been subjected to some of those conditions that I went through as a young married Marine that was trying to struggle payday to payday. And so a lot of these allowances, while they are good, they're potentially temporary. And we, the American Legion, would like to see some long-term, more permanent fixes come into play, specifically in that BAH and housing areas. Yeah, that seems to be a sore point throughout a military career is housing. And we've seen a lot of instances of substandard housing and housing in poor condition. And the military's worked hard, but it's a long road they've been on to get housing up to snuff just from a physical standpoint. Sure. And, you know, I'm I'm glad you bring that up. So currently the American Legion is standing up a military quality of life program where we will travel to installations globally. And we hope to engage and partner with DOD to make assessments of quality of life. Specifically, we're going to focus on you know, matters of privatized housing, accountability, the lack of maintenance upkeep and providing an inventory by these housing companies. And we can't afford to treat the military that is supposed to be the lead example for the world of what right looks like. We can no longer afford to not invest in their housing and living conditions or their infrastructure. Many of our buildings across our installations are over 50 years old average. And we have to do better. And so that's one of the things that the American Legion is going to be fighting for over the next several years is significant increase in quality of life, both through military construction, privatized housing and benefits and additional things that we can do for them so that we can keep them and we can recruit them. Right. Uh, And there is a pay increase for military members, 4.6 percent coming next year. And that's, I guess, for also civilian employees, too, because of the way the president's pay agent operates. It's a strange process. But there was specific mention in recent legislation for the military of that 4.6 percent raise. And that's got to devolve to also greater pension benefits just because the base will be higher. That's correct. And, you know, any pay raise is always wonderful. Uh, 4.6 is the highest raise, I I believe, in 20 years. Um, I don't remember anything back. Again, I just retired two years ago, but I don't remember anything over 3% in recent memory. So that does help. It does not match inflation. And, you know, when you add the measures that were added, such as the housing increases, the basic needs allowance, which unfortunately we do have families living in poverty, 
too many families. I think it's just the beginning of where we need to go. And so if you want to have a quality military, you have to match the civilian sector when it comes to talent management to just making people feel like they want to be and stay in the military and it's worth the risk of putting their lives on the line. We're speaking with Mario Marquez. He's director of the National Security Division of the American Legion. And looking at the NDAA for 2023 and also other parts of the appropriations bills, which finally made it through, however sausage-like that process was, what do you like in what's ahead outside of the areas we just discussed and what do you think is missing? Let's talk about what's good in the NDAA so far. Something that has not received a lot of publicity, at least I don't think it's received enough, is that the NDAA launches a comprehensive study on personnel compensation with the intent of improving pay, competitiveness, and enhancing retention. It's an all-volunteer force. There's already been discussion of going back to the draft. We don't ever want to go back to that. That's an extreme case scenario situation. And so I believe this will help all entities involved, both in the military, outside, academia, veteran service organizations, to really analyze and assess just how much the value of serving your nation should be. And I'm really happy in the American Legion is going to be ecstatic. We're going to be engaged. We're going to involve ourselves in this. And we're going to make sure that we make sure that the uh, Congress and others involved truly conduct a professional, comprehensive study that can give us some actionable intelligence, as I would say, so that we can act on it and push for further legislation, probably in the form of pay increases and additional benefits. Additional benefits could take what form, do you feel? more access to childcare. So there are some provisions in this bill that provide discounts at military installation child development centers. A discount is great, but it's still very expensive for a young E3 and E4 with two or three children. 50% of their paycheck can go just to childcare. That's just not good enough. We need to be able to provide our families with a lot more reduction in cost and services like that, because that is a major issue that I hear all the time as I travel across different military installations. Childcare is a major, major cost. While that's a win in this NDAA, I'd like to see a little more coverage of the childcare cost because that's extensive. So there's one gap that you'd like to see, and there's another NDAA coming up almost before we think about it. It's going to be, you know, thinking about 2024. So what are you going to be urging Congress to do for the next NDAA and in the next set of appropriations. One of the things that is in this NDAA is it prohibits DOD from reducing staffing and the number of medical treatment facilities in order to ensure that our service members and their families have access to care. However, simultaneously, the Defense Health Agency has already begun notifying veterans that they are no longer a priority. They may be seen on a space available basis, but that is concerning because if we are telling DHA that they can not reduce where they're at now, they're already seeing veterans. Um, we're essentially kicking the veteran community out into the local community system that is not too faithful in the TRICARE system. TRICARE does not pay fast enough. Uh, they don't pay enough. And so our veterans are essentially going to a system that doesn't know veteran health care as well as the military does. And so that is a concern, and I hope that we're able to work something out between VA and the Department of Defense so that we can still allow our veterans more access to those treatment facilities and installations that provide critical care in a, it's, it's really a mental health issue. It's, it's an environment of awareness and relative comparison to what a veteran grew up in. And so sure. just like when they go to VA, if they feel alienated and they don't feel welcomed, 
they're not going to go seek medical help. And so we don't want to put our veterans out on the street. So we're going to hope and work toward making sure that DOD and VA leave no veteran left behind and that we don't reduce the number of doctors, physicians, and staff that provide full services for active duty and the veteran community. VA policy now is to fulfill the Mission Act, which is community providers where it's difficult for the veteran to get to, say, a VA center, or maybe they prefer that. So it sounds like you would add the military medical facilities almost as part of the Mission Act, in effect, if not in legislation. Yes, sir. I I would say that's already been going on. The precedents have been set in previous years. And the more opportunity we take away for access for veterans and more options, the increasing chances we're going to have that they're going to be not taken care of. They're not going to get the specialized care that they need, even though there's plans in place for those types of things. Veterans are just not comfortable getting away from the military treatment facilities or VA hospitals. And you put them away into a community care system. Sometimes it's further, especially in remote areas, and they're not comfortable with doing that. And I hear that daily. Add to that the number of pharmacies that have come out of the network. We're trying to get some of those back. But the reduction in access to medicine through the pharmacy networks is also a growing concern. And we're going to hope to get an increase of pharmacies that get back into the TRICARE network so that veterans do have access to their medicines that are critical for their health. Let me ask you about the AIRS Commission that got deep-sixed. That was a big plan to reallocate resources of the VA, tear down some of the old hospitals, build new ones. And what's your sense of what they want to do next? I mean, just to play devil's advocate, you know, why should there be a 75-year-old hospital in an area that veterans are moving away from at the cost of building a nice new one where they're moving to? That's a little bit of a cartoonish way to put it, but that's the general idea. And now they just don't talk about retiring old places, but only building new ones. And maybe that's not that sustainable. Sure. You know, the American Legion, we've been tracking uh, the numbers on on migration of veterans. We're keeping a really close eye on that, especially when it comes to rural health care and making sure that they have access. Um, The American Legion submitted any nomination for the Airs Commission, and we were not selected. But in the end, we advocated that if it was not going to be done right, if veterans were going to lose access to care before appropriate replacement facilities, modern facilities were built, then we were not going to support it. And in the end, the Airs Commission went away. So our position at the moment is that until proper modern facilities within equidistant of the existing facilities are built, and facilities to support the migration of veterans, then we should not get rid of our medical facilities because that is a loss of care and treatment for our veterans. And, you know, one of the things that's going to continue to come out of all the toxic exposure in the 20-year wars is you're going to find more and more veterans that are going to come up with symptoms and exposures from all their years in, in combat. I did four tours in Iraq alone. And, you know, I am 100% and I, and I have a lot of different issues. I was exposed to a lot of different things. And I'm just one guy. They just did some surveys and over a million veterans have been identified and 40 percent have been identified as having some kind of symptoms. Yes, you are on top of your numbers, that's for sure. And and that this is a concern of VA. And just as a final question, what's your general sense of how's the Veterans Affairs Department doing? I think VA is doing the best job that they can, that they still have things to work on. I've had the good fortune before this job, I was the director of Veterans Affairs for the American Legion. So uh, while I was in that position, I had the opportunity to engage the current secretary. And we talked a lot about morale of the staff. If the staff wants to be there, if they feel supported, if they're not overwhelmed, if they have the tools, the IT systems, 
and the support of not only the leadership, but also the veteran community and the trusting confidence from the veteran community. I think VA will do a good job. They have the largest budget they've had in decades, but we just have to make sure that those monies are spent in the right areas where the need is. We have to give them more money for that infrastructure we talked about regarding the former heirs commission issue. And uh, we have to keep improving. I, I realize it's expensive, but the price of war comes with a price on the back end. And we owe our veterans everything that they need for the rest of their lives. And if we continue to go to war, we're going to continue to have this problem. Mario Marquez is director of the National Security Division of the American Legion. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your shows. Leadership today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, ba- they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints, uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. 
Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and 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 celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest, 
people that you will meet and and uh and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it check us out uh you know uh, specialolympics.org on on our website uh that will link you to your local program you can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you you'll enjoy it i can promise you that well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.